Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Thanks, Pastor Bill, for that introduction. Um, I'm nervous that you said just speak for a few minutes. Um, anytime a pastor hears that, they, they start sweating profusely and, and get a little nervous. But uh, what a journey, right? I don't know about all of you, but or how many of you know, uh, the journey for me began back in the fall of last year and for my family. Uh, just found this advertisement online, somebody looking for a pastor, and I was like, well, let's see what happens. And just, it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Um, I think most of you have seen the video last week or have, have seen it uh, maybe online and uh, explained some of that, uh, what it's been like for our family. Uh, it's been a journey. And the thing was, we kind of, uh, myself, the pastoral search committee and the elders, we kind of jokingly say now it's uh, about getting a rose. If, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. How many people have seen The Bachelor or Bachelorette? I know nobody watches that in here, but, um, but in a lot of ways, you know, because we, in this process, you get to know people, you meet people, you actually like people, and you begin to, like, say, wow, I could, we could really see ourselves here. We could really see ourselves plugging into the community here, and we would love to be here, but what if, what if we don't get a rose at the end of it? What if they pick somebody else? And so it's been kind of like a, a challenge for us because we've been sort of on a holding pattern for a while as this has played out. But it's been important in the process for all of you, but also for us. And I have just have a deep, deep respect in your pastoral search committee, the elders, uh, Pastor Bill, uh, for this process because this is something, it's like a marriage, right? And uh, we still stand by marriages. Once you say I do, it's, it's a... You're in it for better or for worse, right? And so we've just really moved very slowly, methodically towards one another. In each step of the way, we all felt like, well, it really feels like God's telling us to take that next step and to take that next step. And so it's led us to this place to this day. And so I'm going to preach today a message, and uh, it's going to be a message as if maybe I never have another chance to preach a message to you. I hope that's not the case. Um, there are some people that have t-shirts with my picture on it and vote for Dell. Um, should we need to go that route? But, you know, I, I do just, uh, I just want to share God's word with you. I want to share what God put on my heart for this congregation, for this day, for this time, as if I were never going to see you again. And I just want to leave that message with you today. So that's where we're going to go. But before that, I do need to introduce these beautiful people right here. Um, my lovely wife, Leanna. If you could stand, please, honey. Yeah. And give the, the pageant wave. My beautiful bride of, of, of 19 years, uh, through ups and downs, a lot of downs, uh, but a lot of adventure. Thanks for being my, uh, my driver in the car outside, the getaway car, uh, when I needed it. Um, no, you've been great, great support. I love you. Thanks for being here. I'm glad you came. <laughs> <laughs> And then I've got two out of my three sons. My other son, Josh, is downstairs. You'll have no problems tracking him or finding him. He'll make himself known to you. Uh, he's just that way. Isaac and Noah, go ahead and stand up. Put you on the spot. And uh, these are my older two sons. Isaac's on the left. Noah's on the right, my right anyway. Um, they're 12 and 11. And uh, I'm sorry, 13 and 12. And um, yeah, it's just been... Again, this has been a journey for all of us, for the family and everything, and so for them too, they've been able to connect with some of the, the young people here, and so uh, they've enjoyed that. So thanks, guys. Thanks for being my cheering squad and for sitting in here and listening to Dad say a few things. So if you give them a round of applause, have a seat. 
And sit down. And sit down. Yeah, yeah, you're getting paid. Actually, my youngest son said that. I said, would you want to sit in the service today instead of go to kids' ministry? And he's, what did he say? Like, what's in it for me if I do that? Well, you see, he's not in here, so we, uh, I don't negotiate with terrorists. Um, so it's like, go do your thing. And also, too, I just have to stop and say, uh, Bob and Carolyn, thanks for our friends came up today from the south side just to be here and uh, just to get, be some familiar faces for us. So thanks for being here. It means a lot. So why don't we get started, and uh, let's pray again. Uh, we can never pray too much, and we'll get into the, the word here. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the journey uh, just that's led us to this place. Uh, I thank you for these beautiful people, this community of believers that are here. God, I pray that you just continue just to, to bless these people, that your spirit would be poured out upon them. God, that today... As I minister, Father God, that you use me as a mouthpiece, Lord, of your word. God, that it would not be me, but that it would be you through me, speaking to the people, to the hearts of everyone that hears. God, just speak through your word today, the message that you have, in Jesus' name, amen. Waiting. That was about 30 seconds of waiting. As you probably could tell, and some of you, it's some of your faces, kind of the awkwardness. You felt like, oh, if you're not going to say anything, I'm going to say something. Uh, waiting, it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? It can be awkward. It can be challenging at times. Uh, but we, it's part of our life, isn't it? Part of our life is, is waiting. Who here likes to wait? Who just loves waiting? Like in a waiting room at a hospital, in a drive-thru that's supposed to take, you know, a minute and it turns into 30 minutes? Who loves uh, just waiting for your food, right? Okay, one person. We always have one. Um, who loves waiting, you know, when you've put something in the oven or in the microwave and waiting those, that minute that feels like an eternity, Right? We live in a time and a day and age where our culture has lost the ability to wait. Another way to say it is, is we've, we've become where we have to have immediate gratification, right? There has to be a return. It's so hard to, to put something in or, you know, invest something, for example, and to wait. You know, it's like planting a seed in the ground and you just want to sit there and you're waiting and waiting for it to produce fruit. And waiting, it's waiting is a difficult time. And the title of my message today is called Withstanding the Weight, and that's not a typo. That is uh, kind of a play on words. It's withstanding the weight, holding on to hope when answers are delayed. How many of you have prayed for something that you have not seen answered yet? Right? I think we can all share that in the past, present, right now. And there's something about the weight, and it's not just the weight itself, it's how we wait. And even in Scripture, in Isaiah 40, 31, it tells us those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, right? 
But again, in our day and age, we, we look at someone and we're like, man, I just, we need to get through this as quickly as possible. We need to move to this next step. And we all can fall victim to that, can't we? We want it now. And so today, we're going to look in, the, in Scripture here uh, where someone is waiting, and they're waiting on the Lord, literally. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 5. And as I've said, you know, I believe that we are called and we really need to learn how to wait well. So I'm going to break this message down into three parts today as we move through this chapter in in Mark chapter 5. And we're going to start with what I call the want. Then we're going to move to the wait. And then we'll move lastly to the wonder. So beginning here, the want, we enter the scene in Mark chapter 5 verse 21, and it's on the Sea of Galilee, and, and Jesus has just returned from a Gadarene to Capernaum, all right? He's come back across the water, just got out of the water, uh, and standing on the shore, and there's a group of people that meet him, one person in particular we're going to hear about. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21, I'll be reading from the ESV today. It says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So let's, let's talk just a moment about Jairus here and who this, who this man is. Jairus would have been the president or head of the, the local Jewish synagogue, okay, uh, this, this, this position he was in would likely uh, afford him the ability to oversee uh, many of the operations in the synagogue, the things that were happening, even some of the teaching. Uh, his responsibilities might have been building maintenance, security, and even procuring of scrolls and things for the readings. So this was a very prominent person in the synagogue, a very important man in the synagogue. And here he is at this man, Jesus, who many were opposing, falling at his feet. Now, again, I don't know, I think in our culture, it would probably be pretty strange if you're standing somewhere and somebody comes up and falls at your feet, right? Has anybody had that happen at the supermarket or anything? It's, and and over, again, on the other side of the world, especially where we lived in Kuwait, that is just something, men don't do that. You don't see that kind of event happen. And so this was a huge deal that this, this man, this man of stature, is falling before the feet of Jesus, but it's showing you kind of a glimpse of where his heart was, right? It was with his daughter who was dying, and he was willing to throw himself down and say, please, come, lay your hands on my daughter so that she can be made well. And I think any parent in here would probably be willing to do, to do that. And so here we have this scene. Again, it, it, was, it was not normal. But do we see in the scripture here, does does Jesus panic about this? Does Jesus say, you're right, let's go, and he starts running out? We don't really see that here. It it seems like if a crowd is thronging, I mean, unless you're like a world-class sprinter and can get out ahead of them, the crowd is moving together, right? So you can imagine it's a slow process, isn't it? Jesus doesn't panic. Jesus doesn't say, well, time is of the essence. We need to get to her stat. No, 
he begins to move and begins to walk, and he's like, I will go. And so, again, Jairus is like, this is a win, right? This is great. Jesus, this man that's going around and doing these miracles and healing people, he's coming to my house, and he's going to lay hands on my daughter, and she's going to recover, and things are going to be great. So let's go. And all seems well, right? And we move down to the wait. Verse 25, as we pick the story up, there's a shift, and it says this, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and it was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and come up behind him and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garment, I will be made well. That's, you want to talk about a picture of faith, right? Think about that. Just to touch his garment, she knew that she would be made well. Note that here that her high level of desperation has produced in her a willingness to take a high level of risk. She was so desperate that she was willing to push herself into a crowd. See, in, in those times, a woman with this issue would have been unclean and an outcast. She wasn't even allowed to come to the synagogue to pray because she wasn't able to cleanse herself. Anytime you came into contact with, with blood or a bodily fluid, you had to cleanse by that evening, and the next day you could then go back to the temple. But if this is a continuous issue, she wasn't allowed to go to the temple and pray. She wasn't allowed to be in social circles. She was an outcast. So her very presence there in the crowd shows where she was at and her desperation, but also her level of faith, right? that she was willing to risk that. Her status was very low, but her faith was very high. Because she would have been just, again, this outcast person at the bottom of the social circle. Her faith was at a place where she knew she didn't even need Jesus to lay hands on her, which was the common practice of that time. Okay, She simply needed to touch his garment. And continuing in verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing who, what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down. So here's yet another person falling before the feet of Jesus. She fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What an amazing picture of the love of Jesus. What an amazing thing that's happened in this moment where this woman, again, this outcast, is now being called daughter. Think about the last time she would have experienced acceptance like that. Daughter. This, this in and of itself was probably life-changing for her. 
Not just the healing that had happened. That's, that's amazing what had happened in her body. But that's, that somebody, the Messiah, Jesus, has now said, my daughter. It had, it had been 12 years since she had been accepted like that by anyone. And so the woman in the crowd, you see, was looking for something. But Jesus was looking for someone And he saw the person in this moment. And while the power of God healed this woman in her physical body, spiritually and inside of her, calling her daughter, did a much deeper work. And so, again, let's not forget about this man named Jairus, right? Who's standing by, who, whatever didn't have a watch then, maybe he had an iPhone back then, I don't know, was sitting there just thinking, imagine the anticipation and what he's feeling inside as he's waiting for Jesus to wrap this scene up. I mean, over here by itself, this is amazing. Look at this. This woman is accepted. She's being called daughter. She's been healed of this great thing. But then over here is this man whose daughter is dying, is next to death. And he's waiting for Jesus to come home to heal her. And in verse 35, it says, while he, this is, while he, Jesus, was sp- still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know where your faith is at today, but healing somebody and raising somebody from the dead, for me anyway, is a pretty big gap. Can we agree on that? I mean, maybe somebody's, you guys have walked on water or something, I don't know, but I've not, and so that level of faith is, is, is big, okay? And so now think about, put yourself in the shoes, because we can read through these accounts in the Gospels and in Scripture and just read it, because why we just read a few lines down and we know what happens, right? Put yourself in Jairus' shoe. If you are a parent, if you are a grandparent, if you know somebody, if you love anybody in this world, imagine you get news after this man said he was coming to heal them that now they've died, And where would you be at in that moment? How would you feel in that moment? Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? In verse 36, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, Only believe. Again, picture Jesus. He's focused. He's dealing with this woman here, healing her, engaging with her in this moment, but yet he still picks up on, he knows exactly where Jairus is at. He knows exactly what Jairus is feeling in his heart right now, trying to figure out how this is going to work. And he brings these words of comfort. Do not fear, only believe. What does only believe mean? What do we call that today? It's faith, right? Faith. Faith versus fear is a common uh, thread throughout Scripture. We see it taught by Jesus all the time. Fear and faith. Faith and fear. It was actually just a chapter before this where Jesus was on, remember, in the back of the boat when they were going across the, the Sea of Galilee the first time. And remember, the storm shows up. If you've been in church for a minute, you've heard the story. And Jesus is sleeping in the back. And what do the disciples do? Do they, they stand up in faith and we're going to be just fine because Jesus is with us? Did they do that? No. No, they didn't. 
Some of you paid attention in Sunday school. It's good. No, they didn't. They panicked. What are we going to do? You know, and they're running around screaming. What's Jesus doing? He's taking a nap. He's fine. And then what does Jesus do? He stands up and he, he calms the storm. And he says to them when he dis, does this, why are you so, so afraid? Have you still no faith? So again, it's, it's, it's about believing, right? It's about having faith in Jesus and what he is able to do. So Jesus allows the woman here with the issue of blood to become a model of faith for Jairus and the disciples for what they are about to experience. The scene that they are about to walk into, I mean, are you, are you catching this? Because, again, sandwiched in the middle of this story about Jairus and his daughter, Jesus uses a moment to teach them and to build their faith because they're seeing something happen on the way to the house, right? As with many things in the kingdom of God, we see things done upside down, don't we? If you read in scripture, it's, you know, the weak are strong, right? The first shall be last. The last shall be first. I've tried that in buffet lines, but it never it hasn't worked yet, so I'm hoping for that maybe in eternity. But yeah, we see this kind of upside-down kingdom, don't we? We see it like reversed, and so we see it here as well, because here Jesus uses a woman of lowly status to teach a man of very high status, doesn't he? And so we move now from the, the want, the weight, and now into the wonder. In verse 37, and it says, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Can I just give you a pointer? This is freebie, little nugget for you as a pastor. Don't laugh at Jesus. That just doesn't. This man is about to do an amazing miracle, and these people are laughing at him. Like, you're a fool. He, she's dead. She's not, she's not sleeping. She's dead. And so, again, they laughed at him. It says, But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, understand something here. Being a mourner in the first century was actually a profession. Did you know that? Even the most lowly person would have been expected to hire two flute players and one wailing woman. Now, women, can you imagine this as a profession, you know? Like, I was trying to think this out and think this through, and like, can you imagine being home, and you know, you're there, like, you sit around and practice, you're sitting there, and you're just, you know, you're at the dinner table, and woo, you know, and you start yelling and screaming, and you know, can you get the tears going and your family sitting around like, what in the world? Oh, it's for work. I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> you know, or do you put like the tagline, you know, can go three hours of tears without drying up? Or, you know, like, what's your, what's your thing? I mean, I can hit a high C uh, on the scale, you know, the note scale to, as I wail. I actually rhymed. That was, that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, an amazing, but this was a profession, and so people would hire these people. So that was for a lowly person, would be two, flare, two, two flute players and a whaler. So this was a man of stature. So imagine how that must have sounded. 
Imagine how your ears would have felt walking into that situation, right? All these people flailing around, crying, and I don't know what the flutes do in, in all of that, but they doing their thing as well. It was, a, it was a chaotic scene, to say the least. Can we agree on that? Well, let's read what happens. Verse 41. So he takes this little girl, he takes her by the hand, and he says to her, Talita Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. What an amazing picture. I mean, you need to just kind of just take that in for a second. Just picture that. The Savior, Jesus, this girl, this little girl that died, just grabs her hand, says, little girl, wake up. And she responds immediately. Notice the similarities between the woman from the middle of the story with the issue of blood and this little girl. They were both female. Notice... I don't know if you noticed, there's 12 years in there, right? 12 years. The little girl was 12, and the woman who suffered, she was suffering for 12 years with her condition. Both were in a state of being unclean. One was bleeding, and one was dead. Was the girl really dead? Yes, of course. Some people try to say that she wasn't, but if there were mourners there, and they were laughing at Jesus. These people had been to some funerals. They had been around dead people. And so it was, she was dead. She was not sleeping in the sense that we understand sleeping. She was dead. But yet both were healed by coming into contact with Jesus. Instead of those things that defile us, instead of those things defiling him, he made that which was defiled clean and whole. Jesus established his authority over the unclean. And really, in essence, he faced one of the greatest adversaries of all time that we all still face today, and that's death. I don't know if you've been around somebody when they've passed away. My, my father died when I was a senior in high school, and I remember walking into the room and seeing him and, like, the finality of that. Like, the, like the, you know, you're, you're watching. I mean, it was strange to say because I'm looking and looking and trying to, like, is his chest going to move? Like, is there a, like, I can't, you know, my, my brain's trying to catch up with the moment. But there's such a finality about it. But here's Jesus who walks into this same situation that's final. And with a whisper, destroys and blows open death and the finality of it. And life comes rushing into the room and into this little girl. Talita Kumai. And she just comes and gets up. We read in scripture, oh death, where is your sting? Here we see that in action. Here we see the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And as we know, we would see it again when he died on Calvary and three days later rose from the dead. Amen? So in conclusion, how do you handle today the weight of waiting? How do you handle today the weight of waiting? What is it that you're, you're believing God for? What is it that you've brought in prayer to God in believing? Has fear crept in? Has doubt crept in? Because of his timing may not be your timing? Where are you standing at today? I believe the words of Jesus, as we've read already, are for us just, just as they were for them. Do not fear, but only believe. Do not fear, only believe. But we live in a day and age, don't we, that's driven by fear. Have you watched the news lately? If I say coronavirus, what do you feel when I say that? The, the news agencies are, I mean, they've figured it out. Like, what gets you to watch is getting you hooked on fear. And so you go back, and guess what's going to happen the next day after, when you go back to the news? Guess what's going to be on there? More fear. They'll put one little story, like a feel-good story, but then everything else, like, bookended by fear. They want us to live in fear, but are we called to live in fear as followers of Christ? No. We're called to walk by faith. That doesn't mean you don't take precautions. It doesn't mean you don't be aware of things that are happening, but you can't let that dictate and drive your life. Do you know that there's Christians today in China, in Iran, that by the simple act of being a Christian, they literally do not know if they are going to last the day as far as their life on earth. Just by saying that they're a Christian, they could never meet in a setting like this. I was at a, a church conference in uh, Vietnam once, not too long ago, and, and the speaker spoke of a story. And it was, a, it was of a man, Luke, you can come up. It was of a man who, he was a, he was a Muslim, uh, he was a terrorist, basically, and this uh, missionary was there, and he was speaking to him, and again, the power of God showed up, this man gave his life to Christ, okay? And the, as the gentleman shared the story, he said, the man wanted to be baptized desperately, and so he said, well, okay, you know, do you want to, like, maybe this evening after it's dark, you know, we can go into the water and we can baptize you and stuff. And he's like, no. He's like, no. He's like, I, I want to do it in the middle of the day for all to see. And he's like, the missionary's like, well, you know that that's basically going to put a mark on you, that people will, will try to kill you once you do that. And you know what he said? This, this guy that had been a terrorist before, He said, if I was willing to die for a false god, how much more should I be willing to die for my one true Savior, Jesus Christ? For the one true God. (laughs) 
don't know about you. I don't, I don't know that I could say something like that at this point because I don't know that I've faced something like that. But I say that today to you, each and every one of you, and, and to us to encourage you that, that that is what happens when you let the Spirit of God inside you stand up. When you step out in faith and you trust and you choose to believe rather than to live in fear and you choose to trust God in the waiting, God will give you the strength and God will sustain you until you see it come to fruition. It may not be the way you thought it was. I'll tell you, I never thought I would be standing in a church in Long Grove, Illinois, preaching, but I'm thankful I'm here and get to see all of your beautiful faces. But it's, it's about trusting God. It's about having faith. It's about waiting well, withstanding the wait. Because here's, here's one thing as I wrap up. If God removes our pain too soon, a lot of times we will not find the purpose of his plan. Did you know that? There's, there's something about under pre- being under pressure and in those times, and, and again, if you think about it, when those times comes, come in your life, what, what happens typically? Most people press into God prayer life that was kind of mediocre and all over the place tends to go like this, doesn't it? Because you literally need God every single moment because you are at the end of your strength. And God cares more about that process of what happens here than what he does on the external. He cared more about this woman with the issue of blood he cared about more about her person and who she was than he did about meeting the physical need. And God cares today about you and I, and he's trying to work out his plan and perfect us as we walk out this life on earth. And a lot of that comes through the pressure of waiting. The church was built, as we read in the book of Acts, amidst tremendous, tremendous persecution. The church today, like I said, these places, China and Iran, is flourishing. Do you know why? Because there's persecution, and it's forcing them to press into God, and they are walking with boldness. Withstanding the weight is the message that I pray that you'll take from this place today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, just to share your word. God, I thank you for this amazing account. I thank you for scripture, Lord, God, that we can go to any time that basically everybody in here has literally at their fingertips where other places they don't. God, give us a passion and a deep desire for your word. God, for those that are here today that are facing difficult situations, situations of uncertainty, God, I pray just as they press into you and and as they pray, Lord God, and, and commune with you, Father God, that you'll just first give them peace in their heart about the situation. God, as we know, the situation doesn't always change right away, but God, a lot of times you're changing us within that situation. God, whatever it is today that somebody may be facing in this room, maybe it's sickness, disease, maybe it's a loved one that's lost and in the world, maybe it's finance, maybe whatever it is, Lord God, whatever that pressure is,
God, I pray just as they, they slow down that they find rest in your presence and God, as they again just press into your word, Lord God, that you would speak to them. And God, as your, as your word says, Lord, that there would be a peace that passes all understanding. Meaning that there should be no reason that we should be at peace, but because we serve you, we are able to experience that peace that comes. And as we walk out these situations and, and face these, these mountains that are in front of us, Lord God, I pray that we will continue to look to you as our source of strength and as our source of hope, that our focus would be on you and not on the problem. God, I thank you for each and every person in this place today. God, I pray that we all leave this place today. When we walk out the door, we leave changed, much different than the way we walked in. God, I thank you. I humbly thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to share your word. And I pray, Lord God, that it has struck deep within the hearts of everyone who's heard. Bless it now. Let it bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.